This is Josh Summers, and you're listening to Everyday Sublime. This is my podcast where I attempt to explore a full-spectrum spirituality. Through conversations, interviews, and Dharma talks, I reflect on the highs, the lows, and the plateaus of the spiritual journey or the spiritual path. And this episode, which is episode 190, hard to believe, um, but this episode is the last episode of the first season or the spring-summer season of 2022. I'll be taking the next three or four weeks off from the podcast, and uh, I'm excited to announce that Terry and I are putting the finishing touches on our new website. Our current website has been quite uh, quite a difficult condition in our business life. Uh, it's just been a platform that hasn't really hosted our material content and user experience well. So we've, we're shifting platforms and uh, we're very excited about the new layout and the new offerings. There's going to be a much clearer way to access practicing online with us, clearer way to access our online education in yin yoga, traditional Chinese medicine, and yin meditation. Um, and we'll also be offering uh, one-to-one kind of coaching sessions with students that are interested in working with us in a more intimate way. And as part of the launch, I'm also going to be releasing a new ebook that I've written on yin yoga, um, drawing on some of the notes from my, te- my, from my yin yoga teacher training manual. Uh, but there'll be a new ebook coming soon called The What, Why, and How of Yin Yoga. And um, that's going to be just one of the many new features on our new website. So stay tuned for that. I'll be speaking about that in the fall. Um, but we will be on break. I'll be on break until early September. So this will be my last episode until sometime after Labor Day. And in this episode, I, I'm trying to wrap up the contemplative themes of this season and one of the themes I wanted to touch on in this talk is the energy of expectation and and how in our practice it, it comes sometimes very subtly, insidiously, or very obviously whereby there's some agenda driving us to try to change what we're experiencing when we're practicing. Um, and as I say in the description, it, there's a way that the egoic self tries to backseat drive the meditative process and how it unfolds. And this is a real important energy to be alerted to and then also an important energy for developing some skills in terms of how you work with it. Because failure to catch this energy, failure to understand the egoic agenda of shaping, driving, um, controlling the experience, that inevitably becomes an obstacle in the practice. It becomes a, um, a source of, of kind of endless chronic frustration with practice because the egoic self is never going to be satisfied with what it's trying to control. Um, so it's, it's just a very interesting theme to, to explore, and that's how I try to frame it here in the talk. It's just how can we open to that energy, become cognizant of it, become conscious of it, and and start to shift and, and maybe change our relationship to it. Not to get rid of it, but to change our relationship to it. So I hope uh, today's talk is, is helpful to you. I hope, uh, if you've been following along, that the reflections all year have been helpful, the conversations have been helpful. And as a party note this season, I just want to say, if you'd like to practice with me and Terry, um, 
particularly if you're looking for embodiment practices, which include yin yoga, a very uh, accessible, uh, contemplative style of yoga that's not performative, it's not that athletic, it's a practice of staying relatively still in yoga poses all on the floor, so floor-based yoga poses. You stay in these poses for three to four, upwards of maybe six to ten minutes. And, you know, In a regular class, the average hold is about four or five minutes or so. But it's a practice that, that, that gently stimulates the fascia, the connective tissue of the body, to improve the conductance of subtle body energy or chi and when the body's relaxed the tissues relaxed the chi is flowing well that is all supportive to a very calm contented state of clarity which which becomes the doorway to deeper levels of insight or awareness in meditation um, and my partner terry she teaches Qigong and yin yoga, and Qigong is the, the more ancient Chinese form of energy work um, that works and couples very nicely with the yin yoga practice. But again, it's very accessible, um, available to really anybody of any age, condition, um, and, and so we, we really like the way that these two practices coupled together, the yin yoga and Qigong coupled together, really give an embodied energetic support to the deeper development of awakening the heart and mind in meditation. That's all to say, if you'd like to support the show, if you'd like to support the podcast, if you'd like to have support in your practice, and would, and particularly if you'd like consistency, if you'd like support in the consistency of your practice, uh, we encourage you to practice along with us. We're here to with our weekly classes to support that very consistency in yin yoga, qigong, and meditation. So there's a link for you in the show notes. It's at the web link joshsummers.net forward slash sangha. Uh, but we look forward to practicing with you. I hope you enjoyed today's talk, and I hope it helps your backseat meditator become a little bit calmer and more quiescent to the unfolding moment-to-moment -moment experience in your practice. Take good care, and I look forward to seeing you again in September, and all the best in your practice. Without further ado, here's today's talk, Backseat Meditator. And so I, I wanted to start this evening's talk with a, a mini reflection about her son, Blaine. Um, without getting into too many particulars about him personally. Um, a few weeks back, actually, no, it was about a week ago, but my timing's always a little fuzzy, but about a week ago, uh, Terry and I were stepping outside to walk our dog, and I noticed that a small cooler, like a kind of a lunch pail-shaped size cooler, was left to the side of Blaine's car on the edge of the driveway. And, and I, I recognized the shape of it because it was the same kind of cooler that I used to use when I did more manual labor, like landscaping and house painting. It was the, the kind of cooler size that I could keep one ice pack in and my, my sandwich for my lunch and a, and a cool couple of cool drinks. And so I didn't think much of it. I didn't think much of it. But a couple of days later, um, when we were out walking and we, got within about a 10 foot radius of this cooler as the irish might say i noticed a real strong bang <laughs> off the cooler meaning a bang of a really strong scent 
that wasn't all that pleasant. It was kind of this rancid, decomposing, rotten smell. And I said, I asked her, I said, do you know what's in that cooler? And she said, I think that's Blaine's uh, bait for fishing. And I thought, ooh, what does he have in there? I don't even want to know what he has in there. Um, needless to say that it took a little bit while before the, the cooler was cleaned out and, and removed. But the, um, the experience of it immediately brought to mind something that I remember hearing from a Dharma teacher of mine named Larry Rosenberg. And Larry, in a very direct sort of way, occasionally would, would say to students, whenever they were talking about having trouble in their meditation, where they, they, they remembered having a calm sitting a few weeks ago, and they're having trouble getting back to that calm space, or whether they were on retreat, and you know the morning session went really well, but then the afternoon session, it felt like the practice had gone gone driven into the ditch, um, Larry would kind of in point-blank fashion say, yesterday's insights are like yesterday's fish, unrefrigerated. And when I smelled this cooler, <laughs> it brought to, brought to mind how like the, the vivid disgustingness of, of, uh, of that of that condition of unrefrigerated fish. Um, but I want to speak to this because what Larry's getting at when he says yesterday's insights are like yesterday's fish unrefrigerated is I think he's pointing, putting his finger on a, dyna a dynamic that I would almost say universally comes into play in almost every meditator that I've ever spoken to. And that's the, the dynamic of subtly or not so subtly practicing with an agenda to have a specific kind of experience. You know, we, we talk about this all the time. We say that practice isn't about having special experiences. It's about being open and awake to all experiences. But it's almost, like I say, universal that when we come to practice, we might align our energy with the kind of the, the, the framework of the practice to be with what is. We're mindful of what is. We're not grasping after things. As Joseph Goldstein might say, we're aware of what's arising moment to moment without any grasping. Can you actually, I'm going to pause here. Uh, Terry's just coming back and my dog who has been, if you maybe noticed, been circling around me, hankering, grasping for something specific like his evening treat. <laughs> He's going to be removed so that I can focus. Um, but this, that experience of, first off, the, the, the mindfulness practice, when we, when we really apply it, it's true. One of the byproducts of the practice is that we will start to taste and experience delightfully calm states. Whether it's, you know, suddenly you're sitting, uh, let's say, some people have described this, like you're sitting with sleepiness, you're in this very sluggish state, and then suddenly... It's like the, 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 the gray clouds of the sky part, and you're just left with this very bright, soft, 
contented clarity of attention, not grasping after anything. The sleepiness is gone. You're like, ah, this is what it's about. This is it. I'm really getting it now. Or it might be something like where you're, maybe you're battling with restlessness, which is an extremely common energy. There's, there's a lot of restlessness in your heart or your mind. And, you know, you're, you're, you're doing your best to be present to it. And then suddenly the, 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 re, the whole ball of anxiety or restlessness just evaporates. And you're sitting there in this calm opening, a, a clearing. And, you know, when I've ever, I had these experiences, it's, it's, it, it feels like, oh, this is confirming. This is validating. This is what, this is what I'm doing, why I'm here on the cushion to get into this state and to, to, to hold on to it and to, to sort of abide in or stabilize in it. And so inevitably, what I'm trying to get at it, inevitably when the pleasure comes, when the ease comes, when the calm comes, when the, the, uh, even the bliss comes, there's a tendency or a very, I'd say, innate tendency of the mind to start to grasp, grasp upon it or grasp for it or try to bring it back or try to recreate it. I mentioned Joseph Goldstein there briefly. Uh, I think his instruction or his definition of practice is, is, is helpful here. And when I interviewed Joseph years back, I asked him, how would you describe practice? What is, what is the essence of practice? And he said very clearly, Joseph Goldstein-esque clarity. He said, the practice is to be aware of what's arising moment to moment without grasping. All right, he may have said without clinging. So those two words, grasping and clinging, are, are used synonymously here. Practice is to be aware moment to moment of what's arising without grasping. He didn't say practice is about getting into a calm state. He didn't say practice is about remembering that blissful state you had two days ago or three years ago when you were at that retreat center or at that monastery or at that mountaintop and to get back to it. It's to be aware of what's happening moment to moment, which really, I would say, checks or holds in check the tendency to have an agenda. Or the only agenda is to have no agenda, or the agenda is to be aware of what's arising without agenda beyond that. One of my other teachers shared with me once, and I think I've shared this with you at some, some point, but uh, there was a Dharma cartoon of a person sitting on a park bench with a bag of old crusty bread, ripping up the bread and, and scattering it to feed the pigeons. And the caption of the cartoon read, we're all pigeons for a little bit of sukha. And sukha is the Pali Sanskrit word for ease, happiness, comfort, pleasure. And so this, this experience of having a calm experience or a pleasant experience in meditation and then sort of maybe not even consciously being aware of how that pleasurable experience comes in or 
and it colonizes your meditation with a subtle agenda to bring it out, bring it about again. We're all pigeons for a little bit of sukkah. So tonight, for our sitting, uh, and for our practice and discussion, I'd like us to explore this energy of expectation, this energy of agenda. And to help uh, maybe concretize or clarify that energy, I want to use the, the, the analogy of a backseat meditator. So we all probably have the familiarity of either driving with a backseat driver, that is the person who's in the passenger seat or the back seat who cannot help but commentate on how we're driving, how we could be driving better, what we need to avoid, what we need to be careful of, whether we need to slow down or speed up. You may have had that experience and you may have also had the experience of yourself being that passenger who cannot help but commentate on how someone else is driving. And I want to suggest that, at least for myself, I don't want to say this is, too, you know, speak about this too globally, but I suspect many of us, if not all of us, have a backseat meditator, an accompaniment within our meditative practice right, that of a, of, a, of a part of us or, or an energy that is more or less trying to dictate, narrate, uh, and coach us to avoid certain things, to be careful about things, to do things right, to not make mistakes, to not get into accidents. And at the essence, this energy, this, this backseat meditator, uh, I think, is, is always saying this, not that. Do this, but don't do that. Or don't do, don't, don't, don't do that, but do this. There's a splitting up, there's a decision about what you're going to pay attention to, what you're going to be with, how you're going to be with it. And the reason why I think it's so helpful to consciously invite awareness to this energy is because when we are, when we become conscious of it, when we become conscious that we have a backseat meditator with us, we can start to a um, renegotiate that 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 energy's role, and so the backseat meditator can become part of us and and doesn't need to say say as much, but can actually be invited to just come along for the ride. And the more it comes along for the ride, the more we, as the meditator itself, the driver of the project, the driver of the process, is able to align more cleanly, more completely with the simplicity of being aware of what's arising moment to moment without grasping. And, I, and I, I'm going through this because um, I think it, again, I do think it has a, has a certain universality to it that as we've been practicing, some of you have been practicing for a while now, some of you have been practicing for several months to a year. Some of you have been practicing for multiple years. But as we practice, and I see this in myself all the time, the more we practice, the more we get into a kind of familiarized relationship 
that inevitably carries certain expectations. And so I, I want to reflect on this tonight and see if by be, bringing this to our consciousness, this, this potential, this tendency to have a subtle agenda or not so subtle agenda, to not want confusion, to seek clarity over confusion, to want bright states of mind over cloudy states of mind, to want pleasant sensations in the body versus not so pleasant, achy sensations in the body. Just to see how deeply conditioned this mechanism of grasping is. Because the grasping, if you, if you, if you were to make a fist, as I am right now, you know, there's a lot of energy, muscular tension, and if, depending on how forceful I grasp, you know, there may be pain even if my fingernails start to dig into my palm. This is the nature of grasping, that, it, that it, it, it's uncomfortable. But releasing grasping, if I release the grasping and, the, and my hand just opens up and relaxes, I'm not getting rid of anything. The mechanism of releasing grasping or releasing the mechanism of grasping doesn't get rid of anything. I don't lose fingers. I don't lose my palm. I don't lose everything else that's going on around it. All that changes is the, you could say the heart or the heart-mind's relationship to what is occurring. And in different formulations in the Buddhist teachings, the experience of nirvana or the experience of enlightenment is defined often as reality or the reality without grasping. And I, I really like that myself because on one, on, on many, in many ways, people, I think, uh, psych themselves out of enlightenment. <laughs> in a way. Like it, it sounds like enlightenment sounds like such a, a far off, unattainable, out of reach, potentially grandiose, arrogant aspiration that no one wants to talk about. But if you look at the way the Buddha referred, Buddha referred to it, he said it, it's the experience, you know, enlightenment or nirvana is just the experience of being that's unconditioned by normal garden variety forms of grasping. Greed, wanting, 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 hatred, grasping to get rid of ignorance, grasping to ignore or to deny. And I know, and I, I say this too, I, it's worth saying this because people think, well, I, you know, I, I don't know what that, that experience is. And, I, and I, I challenge everyone back if they say that, by saying, well, do you know what it's like to be in Shavasana, you know, in corpse pose, resonance pose in yoga, when you're utterly content, you're at peace, there's calmness, there's clarity, you're not sleeping, you're wide awake, but your heart or your mind isn't picking something up to problematize. They're not making a problem with something. You're not saying, oh, I, 
this this shavasana would be so much better if I just got rid of that. That that that, that thought doesn't enter your, the stream of your consciousness. Or if only you know, I could. If the thought arises, if only I could stay here for three hours and just soak in this. That thought doesn't arise. There's just an immediate contentment from letting, born of letting go. So some of you are nodding along. I hear, I see you. And I, I really do hold that conviction that I think you all have a direct experience of it, no matter how short, whether it's only a few seconds, a few minutes, whether it repeats regularly in your practice or not, I, I really have the conviction that you know that experience directly. And so what I think the practice of sitting supports is it's a practice of seeing when we don't let that occur. It's a, it's a practice of seeing when we, when we start to grasp and wish for something to go away, want something to keep going on, want, want a better experience, want clear understanding, want a better thought about it. It's, it's practice to see all of that play out and to let it do its thing. Not to suppress it, not to deny it, but also not to cling or grasp at it. And I'll be curious to hear you know, last week, the or the last few weeks, particularly when I was reflecting on Chuang's butterfly dream, the, the spirit of those reflections was so that you could really, I think, celebrate and appreciate when your mind was spontaneously waking up, when your consciousness was becoming awake again. And once we're awake, this is this is now. I should say it this way. When we become awake, that puts us in the domain of where we can practice insight meditation or vipassana. It's only when we're awake and we know that we're awake that we can become aware of what's happening moment to moment without grasping. When we're in the dream state, that process is inaccessible unless we're lucid dreaming. <laughs> so tonight, the the two themes, if you will, that I'd like you to play with are one, when you wake up, the appreciative, celebratory, I'm awake again, great. And then while awake and while observing moment to moment experience, observing in one definition, how your mind moves from one thing to the next, be, just have an ear open or have your heart, a dimension of your heart open to listening to or for a mechanism of grasping towards some kind of agenda that says, oh no, I'm not going to let that go on, or I can't let that happen, or I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. And that language or this is a distraction, don't let yourself, don't let my mind go down there. I'm not going to go down there. All of that language can, is, is in, in a sense, downstream from a view that says something specific should be happening. 
or something specific should not be happening. And to round out this malodorous reflection on stinky fish, uh, when I was back in Boston years ago, I was fortunate enough to host one of Ajahn Chah's senior former monks. And he came and gave a few talks at the studio. His name is Joseph Kappel. But at one point, Joseph said, when you should all over the place, it starts to stink. So I want to really use that phrase or invite you to work with that phrase, the reality of non-grasping, to feel that somatically, to feel that psychically, to feel that emotionally. What is, that could be just a good question, what is this moment without grasping, for or against? And to see how that, um, what, what precipitates in terms of understanding in your experience when, that's, when, when your heart is aligned with this principle of practice. So I'll, um, I'll offer those reflections for this evening and we'll come into a, a, a meditation together now. Okay, I hope the reflections of this talk are helpful. I hope they support curiosity and exploration in your practice, and I hope that that energy of curiosity is conducive to the emergence of insight, deep insight about the nature of things. Um, and I just want to say that the the energy of the seeker, the energy of the meditator, the backseat meditator, the, the energy that we inject in practice that tries to control, that tries to seek a higher experience, a better experience, that energy is uh, challenging to work with, but it's very, I mean, the whole practice, could you could say, pivots on one's ability to come to terms with that energy and to, to release it. So this will be a theme that I, I do continue, plan to continue uh, developing as we resume in the fall, which is just to say, again, we'll be taking a a few weeks break from the podcast. I'm going to be taking the last few weeks of August off with Terry. It's our end of season uh, vacation time to retreat ourselves, to rest, to restock the well with uh, some deep work and deep practice. And we'll be coming back in the fall with a new website. It's a, a new ebook, The What, Why, and How of Yin Yoga. Um, I have drafts of two or three other books in the works, and I'm putting a timetable of publishing those together for the end of this year and in 2023. So there's a lot of stuff coming. I'm very excited about it, and I'm really enjoying connecting with all the members of the Riverbird Sangha. So if you'd like to join us and practice along, do consider checking out the Sangha in the show notes, um, and I hope you stay well. Um, we are still, of course, in perilous times, and uh, as I just read from Adyashanti, he says... We face the, the challenge of waking up or perishing. So I like to imagine that we're all in this, this process of waking up together, lest we perish. So on that note, keep practicing, stay strong. I look forward to seeing you in the next season in September, and I wish you all the best. Take good care.